0: The severity and impact that substance abuse and addiction have in today's world are all too familiar for a lot of people. Has addiction or substance abuse derailed the lifelong goals of yourself or someone you love? What kind of thoughts or perceptions come to mind for you when you think of or hear about somebody struggling with addiction? And most importantly, how can we as a society further prepare the youth of our nation to make better choices when it comes to alcohol and drug use? in hopes of preventing addiction. Drug and alcohol addiction is an extremely complex disease that impacts approximately 20 million Americans and their families each year. Thankfully, through tons of research, modern science, and due to the incredible people who dedicate their time and lives to combating addiction, there are treatments that can help addicts overcome their addiction and get back on the path towards leading successful and productive lives. And when talking about those who are on the front lines of battling addiction, there is no greater advocate and mentor out there than tonight's guest. The amazing journey through his basketball career while battling drug and alcohol addiction was portrayed on an Emmy-nominated ESPN 30 for 30 documentary entitled, Unguarded. And tonight, we will discuss empowerment, influence, patience, and taking life one day at a time, as well as his journey towards overcoming addiction and now helping others with the inspirational Chris Heron. You are now sitting courtside with your host Mike
1: Cortez.
0: What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to a special bonus episode of season one of the Courtside Podcast. We are proud to welcome today's guest, a former high school basketball star from Fall River, Massachusetts, who went on to play at the Division I level with stops at Boston College and Fresno State. The 33rd pick in the 1999 NBA draft, he played three years with both the Denver Nuggets and Boston Celtics. He spent another few years playing overseas, all the while battling drug and alcohol addiction. And on August 1st of 2020, Chris Heron celebrated 12 years sober, and he now lives a life committed to empowering people on their journey to recovery and wellness. Chris, thank you for sitting courtside with us today, my friend.
1: Oh, I love it. Thanks for having me on courtside.
0: First off, uh, congratulations on year 12. Great stuff, thank brother. You. Thank you. So last night I watched uh, Unguarded again. And for those who don't know, Unguarded is a 30 for 30 Emmy-nominated documentary that ESPN put out portraying Chris's life journey. I've seen it a handful of times. And this time I watched it with my wife, Justine, and she was just in awe, man, Um, of so many twists and turns that you and your family overcame along your journey. But one thing that captivated us the most um, through the basketball, through the addiction, through now your, your wellness work, was the unconditional love between you and your wife, Heather, man. And hmm. can you tip it off for us today, Chris, and, and talk for a moment about your your seventh grade sweetheart and uh, yeah. and the importance of having the right significant other by your side in life?
1: Yeah, so, you know, for me, it's, um, you know, my wife met me before addiction. My wife knew me before basketball. She She knew that seventh grade, innocent soul in a sense and um she waited for that um you know she she knew me at my core and she uh she held out a long long time despite loss of friends loss of family um you know she she waited and you know i'm a father i'm a dad today because of her She's, she, her patience um, and her ability to, to be unbelievably resilient and, and and guard my children and raise them, you know, under those circumstances, and, and it's just phenomenal. So, you know, addiction, it breaks the heart of everybody that loves you, you know, and for so long, addiction is, is very focused on the person struggling and rightfully so in, in the recovery space you know they get all the attention um but behind that person is is uh, our family members who have their own struggles and and are fighting their own fight and and my wife um certainly had hers. and you know that's why you know when i started heron wellness and, and, and entered this world of recovery a big part of my mission was to incorporate family and and to heal not only the person struggling, but to to start the healing process for family members, because, you know, they have, they have that, that, that right. And, and they need that freedom to, to recover alongside uh, the person they love. Um, So, you know, my wife, I could talk about all day. Um, You know, she's a warrior. Um, She's tougher than me. She, she's my reason. And, and,
0: you know, I thank God for it every day. Ah, that's beautiful, brother. It was, it was really special to watch, man. It really was. So let's now talk about your neighborhood growing up Fall river mm-hmm. mass, you know, a blue collar town that's portrayed in unguarded. It seems to be where your foundation for drugs and alcohol stemmed from, you know, it's mm-hmm. almost as if drinking and, and, and partying were, were a rite of passage growing up, you know, and it left the viewers watching the, you know, the documentary, the, have like a negative feel towards your hometown. Where we right. knew unfortunately something bad was gonna happen when you were there, whether it was during summer breaks in between seasons, but through all the smoke, I saw a lot of good that came from your neighborhood. One being loyalty, which to me is mm-hmm. one of the most important values one can possess. Can you talk about some of the positive effects your your hometown had on your life?
1: Oh gosh, I you know, I believe the grit, you know, the toughness, the blue collar you know mentality um keep coming uh that mentality has uh given me the, the right tools um the right life skills to uh to remain sober right i mean that toughness that i had at a young age to play basketball is is now applied applicable in my recovery so where i come from Um, I struggled, right? And, and sadly, tell people this all the time. My whole life, people told me I needed to get out of Fall River. And, and I did. And I went to BC and they told me I was too close to Fall River. And then I went 3,000 miles away to Fresno State. And in three years there, um, they told me I needed to get out of Fresno. Um, everywhere I went from Iran, Tehran, Istanbul, um, China, you know, they were telling me I needed to go. So, you know, it was easy to, 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 uh, shift the focus and put the blame on, you know, my upbringing and my culture and, 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 and the town I was raised in. Um, but, you know, in actuality, in reality, I, I was an untreated, uh, I was an untreated addict. I was an untreated alcoholic. And, you know, as a kid, I didn't know that. And you know, and I I often say that's the scariest thing about addiction. Nobody knows who's going to suffer from it. Um, and and I didn't know during those years of of my teenage years of of, of drinking after basketball games or out in the woods or at the beach that this was going to be a, a lifelong struggle. Um, so you know, Fall River, you know, it didn't it didn't defeat me. It, it made me. Um. And, uh, it, it's more, you know, I give Fall River more credit for my recovery side than I'll ever put on them for, put on it for addiction.
0: Uh, and you, you talked about how that neighborhood in your hometown helped the way you approach the game of basketball, you know, and that's at your core too. Durfee high school, yeah. two, 2073 points in your high school career. And from there on, you seem to be that type of player that I, I would love to coach, man. And you say some of the words, gritty, passionate, you know, vocal, pumping your fist at the crowd, banging your chest, kissing uh, Coach Tarkanian's bald head on the sidelines. Uh, you know, that's everything a coach could want in a player. And that's how you approach the game.
1: I did, you know, and I, but I think, you know, in hindsight, right, you do so much, so much work and so much self-reflection, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, in recovery. and. You know, I look back on those years and I I just had this unbelievable desire to not fail. Um, I just had this unbelievable fear of failure. Um and that fear of failure came out in so many ways, you know, screaming at the crowd, pumping my fist. Um, you know, it's just I I did not I did not want to fail. And 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 honestly not failing drove me more than succeeding. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and not wanting to lose drove me more than, than, than not wanting to, than wanting to win in a sense. So, yeah. yeah I mean, that was my genetic makeup. That's, that's my DNA. Uh, you know, I'm unapologetic for it. You know, I, I had to play that way. You know, I believe, I believe, you know, at six, two and, and, Somewhat athletic, that grittiness, that toughness, that passion, that emotion, that was, that was, that's where I could gain
0: an it. Yeah. And it seems, it seems you took that fear of failure, that, that grittiness, that passion, and you applied it to your fight against addiction. And now, in the way you approach your wellness work, I think that's the most important lesson a player can take with them after their time on the court. And that's that competitiveness, the refusal to lose and just apply it to every aspect of your life. Every single one. Your schoolwork, um, your job, your relationships.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like so I tell people all the time, right? I'm sitting outside my wellness center and, and currently, you know, I have thirty six people that live here. You know, I have thirty six families that entrusted me and gave me and my staff the responsibility. Um to take care of uh, their loved ones. And and that in itself is enough, right? But you know, when I have the opportunity to to, to to sit in front of the guests here, um, you know, I tell them, pray for a slow recovery, right? Everyone wants it fast. Everyone wants it now. And and the fact is is you know, you need it slow. And and, and I tell I tell every guest here, get get comfortable and get grateful for monotony, right? Recovery, just like sports, the monotony of shooting a basketball at a 10-foot rim a thousand times a day, right? It's very monotony. Um, But the only way you get good at it is to embrace the monotony. And, you know, that's very applicable in in the recovery world. You're going to hear the same stories. You're going to see the same faces. You're going to, you know, there's going to be, lots of tears and emotion. Um, and, and the monotony of it is something that you have to be, be aware of and comfortable with, uh, to, to really succeed at it. And, and I think anything that you do in life, it requires a a ton of, of effort and a ton of practice and a ton of monotony over and over and over again. Um, and and you know that's very applicable in the world I live in today.
0: Yeah, the the game of basketball is predicated on the fundamentals. Larry Bird, the famous quote: first master the fundamentals." There's fundamentals in the game. There's fundamentals in recovery, as you pointed out. There's fundamentals in every aspect of him, life. Yeah,
1: yeah, like I tell him, like you know, like you you need to scout. You know, yeah, right. you, you need you need to scout. There's no different than me scouting. Sitting down and watching game tape, you know, on UNLV or watching game tape on Utah with Keith Van Horn and Andre Miller, when I was in college, I, I tell everyone who, who come here, you know, that there's a game tape of life. Like you need to, you need, you need to, you need to to watch tape on yourself, and you know, there's gonna be uh, weaknesses that come up. There's gonna be opponents that are gonna present themselves, and you need to be prepared for it. So the game plan that I became so used to as an athlete um, is now something that's a very big part of, of, of my recovery life right? and, and now trying to pass that on to people who, who come through my center.
0: Wow. I, I love that analogy, man. The game film of life. You know, I never really looked at that. And I love game film. I talk about it a lot as a coach. It's one of my favorite elements um, of strategizing and working with players and their development. You know, I always say you can't hide from the film. And that's just so, such a strong correlation. You can't hide from the game of life. We are always on film, you you know, and you got to learn from that film.
1: Because there's going to be opponents, right? You're going to walk down the street. Like my wife and I, when I first got sober, right? If I was going to a wedding, you know, and I'm two years sober and everybody's drinking, everybody's partying, you know, the the game film, the way it was presented was, we're getting out of here after dinner. Because after dinner, they're going to force me left you know, and they're going to hedge hard on me and they're going to trap me. And I don't want to be trapped. I don't want to put myself, you know, I don't want to get stuck on the baseline. I don't want to get stuck at half court. Like, so, so, you know, it was very, very calculated and, and, and thorough and thought out, um, you know, my, my recovery and, you know, and that's how you have to approach it. I mean, you know, there's going to be kids that you coach that, you know, you you have them captive for three hours in the gym, but on their way home, someone's going to be waiting for them. Um, and what are you going to do? And, and to prepare yourself for those moments and to coach yourself for those moments and practice those moments oftentimes puts you in a better place to make the right decision.
0: Wow. Well said, Chris. Well said, man. Now, I just want to shift gears a little bit. Now, from a medical standpoint, my wife, she's a pharmacist, right? And she was just simply... Um, in shock and at some of the quantity of opioids at one point um, in your addiction that you were consuming. And unfortunately, this power of addiction in my eyes, it's simply, you know, unparalleled to any battle or any game of life that a person might face. Um, you had a high school basketball career that some kids would kill for, Chris, all the way up till your personal childhood dreams of playing for the Boston Celtics. You probably practiced in your backyard hitting buzzer beaters in the Boston Garden, you know, over and over. And here you are in the second game of your NBA career in your Boston uniform and warm up suit in the parking lot, 10 minutes to game time, waiting for your drug dealer to get your mm-hmm. oxies. Now, before we break for halftime, Chris, can you give us a glimpse into not just the physical wear and tear of addiction, but more so that mental war that you had to battle yourself every day and more importantly, what that long road to recovery taught you at the end of the day?
1: You know, it's a very lonely world, right? Like. Here I am externally. Everybody's looking at me like, oh, my God, can you believe this kid? You know, this kid from his driveway in Fall River is now wearing a Celtics jersey. It was everybody's dream. Um, And, you know, Boston fans are passionate and it's very territorial. And I lived out millions and millions and millions of young kids' dreams. But as everybody was smiling and high fiving me and wishing me well, I was, I was carrying this burden and, and knowing that this isn't going to end well, like it can't end well. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm taking 1600 milligrams of Oxycontin, spending 20 grand a month on, on painkillers. And, and yet every night, um, putting on a Celtics jersey next to Paul Pierce and Antoine Walker and Kenny Anderson. And I often say, like, I didn't take 1,600 milligrams to get high. I took 1,600 milligrams to hide. And it was to hide the sickness. It was to hide the struggle, the withdrawal. It it, it was emotionally and mentally exhausting, managing, trying to manage. A severe, severe drug addiction, and play professionally at a at a very high level, um, which obviously I was not able to do very long. Um, and you you got to think about it, right? Yes, I'm outside. Uh, I'm buying drugs before the game. Um, to anyone who's taken opiates, it's a very normal day. To the non uh, uh, drug users, uh, opiate users. Um, it's, it's, it's the craziest story they've ever heard. Um, but to wake up in Houston, Texas, to wake up in Dallas, to call the concierge, to call the bell desk and say, uh, my name's Chris Heron. I'm in room, did I receive a package yet? To wake up in Sacramento, California and call the bell desk at six o'clock in the morning and say, you know, I'm waiting for a FedEx package, can you please bring it up to me as soon as it gets there? And then... Four hours later to be sitting in the hotel lobby, staring outside a window, looking for the FedEx driver just to show up um, because that FedEx driver is, is delivering, you know, Oxycontin that I had shipped out because I'm, I've run out and I'm now sick. Um, so the, 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 the torture and the anguish um, and, and the time spent and the preparation, um, you know, was, was exhausting. And now, your Courtside Halftime Report.
0: While tonight's guest' impact and place in the world will certainly, and rightfully so, be more recognized from all of his daily work towards helping those battle and overcome addiction, it's also important to take a look at Chris Heron's basketball background. His struggles with substance abuse may have stunted his development as a player and limited his overall potential but Chris Heron was still regarded as one of the top guards in the country for a period of time. Heron was a high school phenom in his hometown of Fall River, Massachusetts, where he excelled for Durfee High School from 1990 to 1994. From the moment he first walked through the doors of Durfee, there was a ton of pressure on Chris to succeed because of his family's legacy. His father, grandfather, older brother, and three uncles were all basketball stars for Durfee High School. Heron exceeded all expectations by finishing his high school career as the school's all-time leading scorer and was named Boston Globe and Gatorade Player of the Year during his senior season. Upon finishing his extraordinary high school playing career, Chris opted to decline scholarships from NCAA powerhouses Kentucky and Duke to stay local and play for Boston College. While it would have been poetic for Chris to go on and have a fulfilling collegiate career for B.C., Failed drug tests resulted in the local superstar being expelled, and Heron was forced to relocate some 3,000 miles away to the West Coast to Fresno State, where he would go on to play for the legendary collegiate coach, Jerry Tarkanian. As Chris alluded to in the first half of tonight's episode, unfortunately, his struggles followed him to the West Coast. More failed drug tests and a stint in rehab during his time at Fresno most likely diminished how impactful. Chris's basketball skills could be for their program. Heron played three seasons with the Fresno State Bulldogs, averaging 15 points per game, and most definitely had some moments where his greatness and potential as a player flashed, including dropping 29 points on number one ranked Duke on national television during his senior season. Despite being removed from Boston College's team in his freshman year, and the additional obstacles Chris's addiction problems caused during his time in college, Heron still heard his name announced at the 1999 NBA draft when the Denver Nuggets selected him with the 33rd overall pick. After a relatively uneventful rookie season in Denver for Heron, his childhood dream became a reality when he was traded to his hometown, Boston Celtics. In the 2000-2001 season, Chris did start a few games for the Celtics, but his drug addiction only became a bigger problem at that time and he was ultimately released, never to play in the NBA again. Chris would bounce around playing ball overseas for six more years until he eventually stepped away from the game and began his path towards sobriety and helping others. As a diehard basketball fan and enthusiast, one can always wonder what could have been for Chris Heron on the hardwood had he been able to prevent the disastrous reality of his addiction during his playing days. However, there is no doubt that everything that has occurred in Chris Heron's life happened for a reason. And his work empowering schools and communities to make better choices, as well as helping guide addicts and their families through recovery, was his true calling. He has made a much greater impact in society through his organizations, Heron Talks, Heron Project, and Heron Wellness than he probably ever could have as a basketball player. We are back with former professional basketball player Chris Heron. And we spent some time in the first half talking about Chris's battle with addiction along the way of his basketball career. And now I want to spend some time talking about Chris's current roles as a motivational speaker and as a wellness advocate. Chris, during my time actually as an assistant coach at Malloy College, I had the pleasure of hearing and seeing you speak uh, to the Malloy student athletes during the, I believe it was the spring of 2012. And I'll tell you, man, uh, seeing you speak on TV, uh, doesn't do it justice when you're sitting in that gymnasium, the way you, the way you captivate your audience, you, you talk to the individual. You don't just talk quote unquote, uh, to the room, you know, you don't sugarcoat anything, no BS. You're brutally honest with them and you speak to their hearts and you can see by the look in your audience's eyes that you're making an impact that will last forever. You know, your work as a wellness advocate provides refuge right now to thousands of addicts. But to me, you've saved countless more kids before they even knew they needed to be saved just by hearing you speak. Um, so my question is, what motivated you to begin your speaking career? And did you have any idea after your first speaking engagement that it, it would lead you down this path?
1: So, so honestly, you know, I, I never even knew of the world. Of motivational speakers, you know the only speakers that I could somewhat um, were aware of with like the people I would see on TV. Um, I didn't know there was this culture, this 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 work um, force out there of motivational speakers traveling around the country, presenting to kids and to college teams and professional teams and corporate engagements. Um, my speaking career uh, started. Uh, by accident, I had just lost my license, and there was an article in the paper about my recovery. And this this health teacher at a school um, two towns over from where I live, they, she said, "I would love for you to come and tell your story to my students. I I can't pay you. Um, I have no money to pay you. I'm going to give you a Dunkin' Donuts gift card. But what I can tell you is, is I'm going to pick you up." Um, and that woman brought me to her class that day, and I spoke to about fourteen kids. And you know, after the class, she dismissed them. I jumped in her car. She drove me home. She gave me a Dunkin' Donuts gift card. And because of that first class, she invited me back to do, I believe, six more. You know, the speaking world is—you can be a great marketer, um, but but if you're going to speak and you're going to have a career in it, it has to be word of mouth. You know, so. It became something, um, happened very organically where people started reaching out saying, oh, I heard you speak at Miss Sullivan's classroom. I'd like to bring you to this high school. And, and from that, it just went on and took on a life of its own. And, and, you know, I went one time I was doing about 250 speaking engagements a year. Um, you know, and I've been in front of, you know, the Packers, the Patriots, the, the Bears, the Red Sox, the Royals, um presenting at Harvard and to pilot in recovery and and attorneys and healthcare companies. So, um, you know, speaking's word of mouth. So if you don't bring it, it ain't, it's going to stop coming. Um, and I believe in it. You know, I believe that, uh, the addiction world, right. That people who suffer from substance use disorder have, uh, a victim of stigma and, you know, that we don't deserve help, um, that we, we oftentimes deserve punishment more than we deserve help. Um, and I want to shed some light into it. I wanted to put my face on, on attached to the word heroin and attached to recovery. And it's, it, it's been, amazing. Um, I'm super grateful for it. Um, you know, over the years, again, you know, read your audience, understand who you're speaking to speak to eyes, not to the back of the room, right? Like I, I, I I try to speak to people's eyes and that passion for it has allowed me to do it for a long time. And it's, it's evolved, right. When I first started speaking to kids, it, it, I would tell them my story, and now I have another documentary called The First Day. Um, and I think when it comes to addiction, I think we've gone horribly wrong with the way we present it and teach our children. I think we focus, we put so much focus on the worst day, and we forget the first day. We talk about how addiction is going to end it, rather than why it's beginning. And 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 I think kids I can identify with that, right? Like when I was a kid, if you put a drug addict in front of me, I could not see Chris Heron living that life but if that drug addict spoke to me and 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 explained to me how he felt at 14 and 13 maybe I had similar similar qualities and similar feelings um so it's it's the evolution of a man in recovery it's you know understanding who I'm presenting to and and trying my best to as an educator right as someone in front of kids trying my best to influence and empower and create their voice. Um, Because in my opinion, that should be every speaker's goal is to create someone else's voice. And, and, and that's, that's what I've been, I've been on a mission to do since day one.
0: And and that's what you've been doing, man. You don't just speak to their eyes. You speak to their hearts and it really does seem right. that some of the greatest achievements people uh, come across in their lives. They happen unexpectedly. Right. They yeah. happen organically or naturally, like you said, when you, you know, uh, when you just least expect it. Um, and it's just uh, beautiful to see um, the work and the impact you're doing.
1: You know, I was a, I was a repo man. Um, you know, when I first got sober, I got paid thirty dollars a car and I would drive around 12 hour shifts, six days a week. And I would put boots on cars who weren't paying their bills. Um, and then I lost my license and I couldn't work. I couldn't drive for two years. Um, so I started teaching basketball, um, because I could walk to work, you know, so it's, it's been a process. Um, you know, it was, it was, I told you, like I said in the beginning, I was blessed with patience in recovery. Um, you know, I I was okay waiting in the hallway where, you know, in the past I was wired to kick the door down. Um, but I waited my turn and, and I, I went after it very methodically and, as I sat there waiting patiently, opportunities presented themselves. And, and again, 13 years ago, this wasn't my plan. Um, you know, there was never, there was never truly a plan for me. Um, you know, it was to stay sober one day at a time. And, and, you know, the passion and the effort I put into my sobriety started giving me other opportunities in
0: life. Oh, amazing, man. Before we broke for halftime, Chris, we spoke about this power of addiction and, Unfortunately, living in Staten Island, New York, man, it is, it's all too common of a story around here. Um, my aunt, Alicia Reddy, she's a nurse here on Staten Island. And when she first became a nurse in the early 2000s, she worked in detox. And immediately, mm-hmm. she saw something was not right with the amount of patients she was see on a regular basis. So like yourself, she felt a need or that calling uh, to do more. And I got to let you know, she's a huge, huge fan of yours. And you played such an inspirational role in her life. And now through her work as the addiction angel, as she's known Mm. around here in Staten Island and other parts of the East coast. She hosts educational support groups for families and educational presentations for the community. I've taken my teams there. um, And through her efforts, she's helped hundreds of families as well, man. And I bring this up to you uh, because at the conclusion of unguarded, you talk about your destiny and how you found Mm. peace now and what you do. And I see that in my aunt's work. Can you add to this, to this destiny that you feel now and, and how you are, truly now at peace in what you're doing
1: you know listen i don't i do not take it lightly um not many people have the opportunity to watch and witness a true miracle mm-hmm. right to sit in my office with someone who is struggling on heroin and can barely pick their neck up and watch their mom and dad and all the pain um and 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 one day at a time watch their neck slowly come up to where now they're making eye contact now they're starting to believe now they don't have to stare at their feet you know they want to see what's around them you know that's a gift that 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 people in recovery that's that's the gift that we've been given and someone used to say to me all the time wait till you witness the miracle right i used to go to meetings and wait till you witness the And I always thought he was talking about me, this old timer. Like one day I'm going to look in the mirror and, and I'm going to see the miracle. But the miracle was the person walking in after me wow. and, and watching their life slowly come back together and watching, watching them become a dad again or a mom. So that, that destiny, that responsibility, that, that's something that, that, you know, people live a whole life without, without witnessing and, for that I'm very, very, very grateful. I, uh, you know, I remember I spoke at the theater, there's a beautiful theater in Staten Island,
0: a beautiful theater, yep, St. George. Uh,
1: and, and I spoke there to a bunch of schools, and there was a school by the sea, I believe. That's um, me,
0: that's where I coach St. Joseph yeah. by the sea, Chris.
1: Yeah, St. Joseph by the sea. Um, and I spoke there, and Staten Island when I was there was probably like 2010, 2011. And, and it was at the height of yeah. you know pharmacy robberies and it, it was it was it was peaking at that moment and at that time you know not everybody was willing to recognize and say you know our communities hit too Staten Island was one of the first to put themselves out there yeah and say that like we got a major issue here
0: you know, God bless you and your work and the entire Heron Wellness team um, because it, it truly is a miracle. And uh, I'm sure anybody who's ever sat before you, including, uh, you know, our St. Joe's family and everybody here on Staten Island and all over the country, are forever grateful uh, for your work and and the miracle you provide to people of all ages, man. All right, Chris, well, thank, before, you. thank you, man. Before we wrap things up, all right, we have a segment yeah. here on the Courtside Podcast. We like to call... The final timeout. All right. I'm gonna put a minute on the clock, my friend. I'll be shooting a variety of questions at you. First answer that comes to mind. Give our listeners a chance a little to learn a little bit more about uh, Chris Heron here. Sure. All right, let's you ready to go? Yeah. Who's your hero?
1: Any any person that walks into the room of recovery.
0: Most memorable basketball moment.
1: Starting my first game as a freshman on varsity.
0: Favorite place you played during your professional career overseas and why?
1: Overseas, favorite place, probably Beijing, China. Uh, fans were phenomenal. Sold out arenas. Very passionate. Um, was, was probably my favorite country
0: to play in. Best thing about growing up in Boston?
1: Celtics. Larry Bird. <laughs> DJ. McHale. Paris. You know?
0: One place you have to go when visiting Boston.
1: Mm, if you visit Boston, come to Fall River.
0: Gotcha. <laughs> Best Boston based movie of all time.
1: Oh gosh. I'd say um the one with the, the one with Matt Damon and uh Goodwill Hunting.
0: Ah, my favorite, man. My <laughs> yeah. favorite. I got her number. How do you like them apples? Totally. (laughs) All right. uh, Last question, Chris. We're going to kick it into overtime here. One mantra or words of wisdom that you live by that helped you through some of the toughest and darkest moments on your road to recovery? You
1: know, I think the only mantra, right, for me is is one day at a time. Um, You know, there's so much beauty in that. There's so much peace. You know, there's so much surrender attached to it living my life one day at a time is something that has saved my life and, and has given my family hope and, and a new perspective on life. So as overused as it can be and, and as, as, um, kind of corny at times, it's, it's been a game changer for me. It's been a lifesaver.
0: Ain't nothing corny about that brother. Thank you, brother. Uh, So Chris, throughout your life, um, you've often seen your name in the media headlines, sometimes for the better, you know, in your role as a basketball player, and unfortunately sometimes for the worse during your battle uh, with addiction. Here you are now, the age of 45, and now the headlines we read with the name Heron are centered around your efforts and selfless contributions to help fight addictions. We see this through Heron Talks, Heron Projects, and Heron Wellness. So before we wrap up here, what does it mean to you and your family to now see your name, that Heron name associated with help and healing? Mm. And, and can you describe to our listeners a bit about your work and, and impact you've seen uh, through these organizations?
1: So it's, you know, it's a dream come true. Um, you know, an, an old timer in AA told me that you, that, that you choose your news. You know, you can write, you write your own headline. Uh, for the last 12 and a half years, you know, the headlines have been different. Um, and, and I'm very proud of it. And my work with, you know, initially, you know, as a basketball mentor, as a basketball coach is something I'm very, very proud of. Um, you know, the evolution to Heron talks and speaking, you know, to over 2 million kids in the last 10 years and, and then to Heron project. And, you know, if it wasn't for Chris Mullen and his wife, uh, given me that gift to go to Daytop in New York. Um, I don't know where I'd be today. And and when I got sober, you know, I went to bed at night dreaming of being somebody's Chris Mullen, somebody's Liz Mullen. And they formed the Heron Project, which now in the last uh nine years has sent four or five thousand people to treatment on a scholarship and has helped thousands of families. Um, So the Heron project is, is, is my, at my core, it's my mission. And, and, and then to, to take one step further and and open Heron wellness and be part of someone's journey on a daily basis. And to have a location in Massachusetts, 20 minutes from my house, but as well as Warrington, Virginia, right outside of DC, um, you know, is, is something that never, ever, uh, beyond my wildest dreams, what I have imagined. And I would have none of it. I would have none of it without recovery. So something that I'm, I'm truly blessed and, and grateful.
0: Well, Chris, thank you for your patience and the miracles you help create every single day with your work. To our listeners, you can find links in our show notes to learn more about all of these heron organizations. Chris, any closing words, my friends?
1: Nah just a blessing, right? Blessing to be on courtside. Blessing to have the opportunity to talk about not only my recovery, but recovery in general. Um, thank you for giving me the opportunity to be on your show today.
0: This was amazing, brother. Thank you for taking time out of your day um, and being courtside with us.
1: All right. Take care, brother. Thank you.
0: An unbelievable story of a man who has shown us the power of perseverance and taking life one day at a time and now gives back and changes so many lives for the better every single day whether addiction is something that has affected you individually or not we can all learn a ton about patience and healthy approaches to our own daily lives from Chris's story and if you or someone you know is struggling with addiction or substance abuse please look into Chris's organizations and information listed in our show notes and do something to get help immediately because everyone deserves a chance at sobriety and treatment is available and can make a difference. You've been listening to this bonus episode of the Courtside Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Cortiz. If you like what you heard, go leave us that five-star rating and review down below. Hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Courtside Podcast. That's C-O-R-T, Courtside Podcast. We appreciate you. And stay tuned for upcoming Courtside episodes as we will be releasing Season 2 in the very near future.